Welcome to Grace Bible Church Gainesville worship service for October 23rd, 2023. And as always, it's such a blessing to be here today and be able to share God's Word with you all. So today we'll be stepping back from our study in Matthew, the King in His Glory, giving Pastor Brandon a well-deserved breather. And we're going to be jumping back into our walk through the Psalms. So here at, at GBC, we, we want to use the whole Bible. We want to preach from the Old Testament, the New Testament, because they go together so beautifully. We want, to, we want uh, God's holy wor- word to just soak deep into our heart and our soul. And so as we go through Matthew, we, we see our Lord Jesus as the King and His glory. And as we go through the Psalms, we see Yahweh God in His glory. And so as we get to see all the blessings and the trials of life, as we go through the Psalms, it's amazing that, that we can see what life is like, the men who wrote these Psalms, and their trials and troubles. And the amazing thing about the, the book of Psalms is that it took almost a thousand years to complete it, from the first to the last. And so from the first Psalm ever written, which is Psalm 90, and Psalm 90 was written by Moses around 1400 B.C., it was during those 40 years of wandering, and then a thousand years later, the last psalm was written, which was Psalm 126, and that was written about 400 B.C. And then these psalms were all compiled, they were all arranged into order by groups of men, and these men, they were, they were the compilers, and they grouped all of them together, and as they did, they, they placed them into, into, the, into a sequence and order that we have today. And what's really interesting is when the book of Psalms was first compiled, there were only 41 psalms. We can still see that fact today because if you look at, at your Bible right above Psalm 1, it, it should have Book 1 above it. And this was the first group of Psalms. And then Psalm 42 to Psalm 72 were compiled and they were added. That became Book 2 and then Psalm 73 to 89 became Book 3 and Psalm 90 to 126 became Book 4 and then Psalm 107 to 105 became Book 5. And so... We'll see as we go through the book of Psalms that there are five different, I guess you call them installments of the Psalms that were compiled, that were added, and they were arranged in the order we have now. And so we have five books that make up one book of the book of Psalms. And again, it took over a thousand years, which is so amazing. And again, each Psalm is placed where it is for a reason. Remember, Psalm 90 was the first one written, but it's placed at 90, and again, there's a reason Every psalm was placed where they are. And I mentioned it last time, but the reason Psalm 1 is the first is because it is the most important psalm. And the reason it is is because it sets the course for all the rest. Remember Psalm 1 and 2, where I talked about this last time, they're like these giant gates that just swing open to the rest of the psalms. And so we need to pass through these gates in order to understand what the psalms are all about. And so we see in Psalm 1, it just hits us right in the face with the fact that there are just two roads that we can follow in life. And they, all, they both lead to two different, very different directions. Very, end, very different endings. And there's just two ways. So there's not three or four, but just two. And again, they have very different endings because one road leads to judgment, destruction, and suffering. The other road leads to joy, blessing, and eternal life. And so you better make sure you know which road you're on. So are you, are you on the road of the wicked? Or are you on the road of the righteous? Which one are you on? 
And here's the bad news. We're all born already heading the road of the wicked. We're all pointed in that direction. But here's the good news. We have Psalm 2. And then Psalm 2 comes along and it points us to a person. It points us to a man. And he's the only man who can take us off the road of the wicked and place us on the road of the righteous. And that man is the Son, God's perfect Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then once we understand which road we're on, then the rest of the Psalms, they take us through life. Again, we talked about its struggles and its heartaches and the joys and the blessings. And really, the book of Psalms is here to call us to a life of righteousness, a life of praising, and a life of trusting God. So each psalm is placed where it is for a reason. And last time, you remember, we walked through Psalm 20. In Psalm 20, remember, Israel was preparing for war. We, had a, we saw a group of people praying to God for David, their king, that Yahweh God would save his own. And in the middle of Psalm 20, we had David. He's praying to Yahweh God. He's praying with confidence because he has an intimate, close relationship with God. And then Psalm 20 ends with David and Israel as they're, as they're marching off on the horizon, out in the distance. The people end with this, this prayer of thanksgiving. And so now today we'll walk through Psalm 21 and we'll get to see how David and Israel did in that battle. And here's a hint. The title of today's sermon is Thanks for the Victory. So Psalm 21 is a psalm about praising and thanking God. And this is important because we... The world we live in today, there's just so little thanking and praising of God. And so Psalm 20 and 21, they go together. Again, the compilers did this for a reason. And in Psalm 20, the people are anticipating a coming battle as the king is about to lead the troops out into battle. And they gather together and they're praying, they're petitioning on the behalf of the king that God would grant him success on the battlefield. And then we have Psalm 21. And the battle's over, and the king's victorious, and now they're giving thanks for the victory that God has given. And what Psalm 21 helps us understand is that, that God is a God who answers prayer. And it helps us see that answered prayer is the demonstration of the fact that God is strong, He's powerful, and He can do what we ask Him when and if it fits with His will. And so Psalm 21 is one of those psalms that that really help us understand that our, our life is not a series of random chance events. No, our life is under the power of an almighty God. And when we're, when we're submitted to Him, and we pray to Him, and when we see Him answer us, we need to thank Him for His power and His might, and give Him all the praise and thanks we can. And so like so many other truths in our life, we tend to fall short of this. <laughs> we tend to take things for granted that God has done for us be, we forget to thank Him. And that's why we're thankful for Psalm 21, because it reminds us to give thanks and praise to our Lord. And so if you haven't already, you can turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 21. Psalm 21, as human beings, we all suffer from forgetfulness. We forget, so from time to time, we're prone to forget the blessings of God. All those that He's bestowed upon us. And we tend to be like those those ten lepers in Luke 17. Remember those ten lepers that our Lord Jesus healed and only one came back to thank Him. We tend to have our prayers answered, but then we're on to the next crisis so quickly we forget to thank the Lord. We can fall into that kind of rut, but hopefully Psalm 21 is going to help us remember 
always give thanks to Him. So let's read Psalm 21 and then we'll walk through it. Psalm 21. And God's holy word reads, For the choir director, a psalm of David, O Yahweh, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. For you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence, for the king trusts in Yahweh. And through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. Yahweh, you will swallow them up in his his wrath. And fire will devour them. Their offspring you will destroy from the earth. And their seed from among the sons of men. Though they intended evil against you and devised a scheme, they will not succeed, for you will make them turn their back. You will aim with your bowstrings at their faces. Be exalted, O Yahweh, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. And there ends the reading God's holy word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for this psalm and the truth that that we see in it, Lord. Help us to to see why we need to be more thankful to you, Lord, that we need to to thank you for all the answered prayers that you give us. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher today. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me my shortcomings and preach a better message than I have prepared. Father, I ask you to fill me with with your Spirit so that I can be an instrument that you can use. And we pray, Father, all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 21, a psalm of David that will hopefully again remind us <laughs> that we so often forget the blessings of God, all His blessings, all the goodness that He bestows upon us. seems like so many times we pray and we agonize over something and then the Lord answers us and we give Him that quick thanks and then we're on to the new crisis right away. And so today I pray that David will, will give us some pause and help us be thinking more about praising and thanking God. And what we'll see today is David's going to try to show us five characteristics of a thankful heart here in Psalm 21. So as David and Israel, as they come back from this battle victorious, what did they learn from Yahweh God in this battle? And what can we learn from this as well? Well, they're reminded that everything, and that's everything, is under God's power. And if our prayer lines up with His will, then He will give us what we ask for. And so, they were reminded about His power and who He is and how truly thankful they are for that. And that He will always give us what we need, but not always what we want. He always knows what's best for us and He will always do His best. But, like David shows, we need to be especially thankful then when He does give us what we pray for. We need to take time to thank Him for that. And again, sometimes we don't always do that, like I said, because we move on so quickly. 
Because usually in our lives, the next crisis is just around the corner. Our next difficulty is just around the next bend. I think about this when I drive on the freeway. Our difficulties are like those mile markers we see on the freeway. They just keep coming one after another. So we need to have this thankful heart. But what, is a, what does a truly thankful heart look like? Well, here, this is what David is going to show us. Again, these five characteristics. And again, last time in Psalm 20, we saw God's people and David, they're, they're, they're praying to Yahweh for victory in this battle. And then when Yahweh God answers their prayer, He grants them the victory. And then so here in Psalm 21, we're going to see these five characteristics. And so what are they? Well, first in verses 1 and 2, we're going to see there's a joy in the Lord. A joy in the Lord. Second, in verses 3 through 6, there's a blessing in the Lord, a blessing. Third, in verse 7, there's a trust in the Lord, a trust. And fourth, in verses 8 through 12, there's a respect in the Lord, a respect. And then fifth, in verse 13, there's a praise in the Lord, a praise. And so as life moves by as quickly as it does, we're all prone again to forget the moments in our life where where the Lord answers our prayers, where our prayers line up with His will, and He will grant us what we pray for. And what should come out of our heart when that happens? Well, really, it should all the time, but especially when He answers it. And here in Psalm 21, David shows us joy, blessing, trust, respect, and praise, which should help us to thank the Lord all the more for who He is. So let's dive into Psalm 21. What does a thankful heart look like? First, a joy. Verses 1 and 2, a joy in the Lord. Look at verse 1. O Yahweh, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. Notice in this psalm we don't see first person. We don't see any I or me. We see third person. David isn't writing this as I the king or me. He's referring to himself in third person. And why is David writing this way? Well, maybe writing from, this, from the people's point of view like he did in Psalm 20. Remember, back in Psalm 20, David wrote that from the people's perspective. They were praying to God for him. So we, had, we saw a lot of, may God help you. May God send you. Not may God help me or those kind of words. It was always third person. David's writing like he's jotting down what the people were saying. And here we have David writing again as if he's repeating what the people have said. And so here in verse 1, we have the people, they're watching for David and and the soldiers. They're waiting for them to come back from the battle. And what are the people expecting when David comes back, when they return? It's joy. And so someone must have rode back to Jerusalem and told them about the victory. And the people are expressing their joy. They're anticipating David's joy. And then look what they say. O oh, Yahweh, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. They're expecting David, the king, to rejoice in Yahweh for his salvation. And why is David rejoicing? Well, it's because Israel's army, and it wasn't because of Israel's army, sorry, it was because of Yahweh and his strength. He says, oh, it says, oh Yahweh, in your strength, the king will be glad. So it's not, oh Yahweh, in our strength, we will be glad. And so what is this showing the people? Well, it's showing them that their, their king knows who's in control of the battle. 
and showing them that their king knows the power and the might of Yahweh God. And so they're seeing a king who has a personal relationship with the Lord. And that David's victories are really a reflection of that relationship. It's showing them the fact that, that the Lord God has honored the king. He's answered his prayer. Israel won on the battlefield. And that says a lot about the king and how much he loves his Lord. Remember, there's, there was a lot of praying before this battle. Back in Psalm 20, we saw that. The people prayed, and David prayed. And David even went to the tabernacle, and he sacrificed to the Lord. He humbly submitted to the Lord. He understood the right way to worship the Lord. And he knows his heart is right with God. And so we could trust in God's sovereign will, because David's a man after God's own heart. The entire battle was in the Lord's hands. And God knows the beginning from the end. And so David knows whose strength the battle was won with. And then verse 1 finishes with, And in your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. David prayed to Yahweh in Psalm 20. In fact, in Psalm 20, verse 6, this is what David prayed. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. That's what Yahweh did. And so David is full of joy. David knows that he came out of this battle alive, not because of his might and power, but again, it was Yahweh's might and power. And the people know that their king, again, is a man after God's own heart. Because look what they say in verse 2. In verse 2, they say this. They say, you have given him his heart's desire. David is joyful because David's heart, his heart's desire, is what God gave him. And so his innermost part, his inner man, God gave him that desire. And what this shows us here is that there is a way where God will always grant us our heart's desire. And so what's the key to unlocking having God always grant us our heart's desire? Well, it's, it's what David said here in Psalm 37, verse 4. David said this in Psalm 37, verse 4. If you want to have the Lord God always grant your heart's desire, Psalm 34, verse 4, David wrote this, Delight yourself in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So what's the key? Delight yourself in Yahweh. And to delight is to make pleasure or enjoyment from something. And we delight ourselves in the Lord so we don't delight in ourselves, but in Yahweh God. And so if we delight in the Lord, he will become our greatest desire, which means that if we delight in the Lord, and here's the great part about this, if we delight in Him, He will plant His desires in us. He will plant His desires deep into our innermost part, into our heart. And so if we're saved and we delight in the Lord, that means if we're spirit-filled and we're submissive and we delight in the Lord, He will plant His desires in our heart. And what David is saying is if our priorities of our hearts are the Lord's priorities, then our desires will naturally line up with His will for our lives, and then our prayers will always be answered because we want what He wants. Our desires are His desires. But to make the Lord our greatest desire takes time. It will take time walking with the Lord and growing in the Lord and growing in our sanctification. It doesn't happen overnight. David didn't get there just happenstance. David is a man after God's own heart. 
And so to get to a place where our, where our desires line up with the Lord's, again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not flipping a switch. And then until then, we will fight with our earthly desires and God's desires. But when we're totally in submission to Him, He places His desires in us. And so here in Psalm 21, in verse 2, the people can see that David's heart's desires are the same as Yahweh God's desires. And so they say, you have given him his heart's desire. And the last part of verse 2, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Again, it was David who prayed to Yahweh. It was, it was to him he made his request known. Because Yahweh God is the only one who could make it happen. Who could make this come to pass. This victory that they're praying for. And to save David's life. It's what he requested. And and the Lord is the only one who can grant it. So it's a joy in the Lord because he's the Almighty. And really this verse 2 is a a direct answer to verse 4 of Psalm 20. As as the people prayed to the Lord for David. Verse 4 of Psalm 20. Again, remember they said this. He said, may he grant you, that's King David, your heart's desire. And fulfill all your counsel. Again, here in Psalm 20 when we see the Lord granted that. And now the people were able to witness the Lord's might and power. And so the thanksgiving here for the victory is is just filled with joy. They sense their king is coming home with a joyful heart because he left with a joyful heart. He knows that the military success was was more than just a a victory. It was really a demonstration of the power of God resting on his anointed king. On his anointed king who was leading his chosen people and the nation under their submission to him. And so we have the people praying for God's strength and help to fight in the battle. And now they've won. And it's all because of you, Lord. Because you gave our king what he asked for. The desire of his heart. And because his desire was your desire, you granted that victory. You saved his life. And so with gladness and joy, we worship you. And for you alone, for that. And so the first characteristic of a thankful heart is joy. It's joy in the Lord. And now the second characteristic of a a thankful heart is blessing. Verses 3 through 6, a blessing. So why is there so much joy in the Lord? It's because of his blessings. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, For you have met him with the blessings of good things. You have set a crown of fine gold on his head. So we can see the people, they're just zeroing in here on, on, on why they're thankful. They start out with joy in the Lord because he's answered the king's prayer for victory. But, but now, not just this victory, no, it's because you've blessed the king so much more. You've blessed our king so much with good things. And the most amazing blessing of all is that you, Yahweh God, you have set a crown, a crown of fine gold on his head. Lord, you have given given us this man to be our earthly king to rule over us. And his success on the battlefield is a sign that you are with him and that he enjoys your blessings. And the people know about David. They know where he came from. They know David was born in the little town of Bethlehem. They remember David, he was the runt of his family. He was the youngest of seven boys. They remember he was a lonely shepherd. He spent all his time out in the field tending his father's sheep. David was, he wasn't born of royalty, but he loved Yahweh God. And he was picked to be the earthly king over his people. 
And so this, this lowly shepherd boy becomes king of Israel, and he, he gets a crown, a crown of fine gold. And again, David, this lowly shepherd, who was called a man after God's own heart, he's called this because he was faithful to the Lord. And so when he did wrong, and we know David did wrong, he asked for forgiveness. He repented. And he loved the Lord with all his heart. And his desire was the Lord's desire. And the Lord blessed him with a crown of fine gold. Charles Spurgeon once said of David's crown, Charles Spurgeon said this of David's crown, he said, it is a crown indicating royal nature, imperial power, deserved honor, glorious conquest, and divine government. In other words, this crown, this gold crown, is a blessing that's showing the people that this king, by the hand of the Lord God, has the power and the authority and the right to rule and lead. And the people are saying, we remember our last king, we remember King Saul, and he didn't give you all the glory and all the honor like this king does. We understand why you blessed him with the blessings of all these good things and why he wears a, 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 a fine gold crown. You know, we love our king too. Lord, you've been generous and gracious and that, that we recognize the blessings of our king. And we give you thanks for that. And then the people go on in verse 4. In verse 4 it says, He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Lord, you have blessed our king. He asked that you would keep him safe in the battle and you did. You spared his life. Again, only Yahweh God can grant this request. And so the people are thanking God for delivering their king. He, he blessed their king and he's kept them safe in battle. And the last part of verse 4 is very interesting. It says, length of days forever and ever. He asked you for life, you gave it to him. But length of days forever and ever. Lord, our king prayed to you that you would save him in battle, and you did. But this forever and ever part, David didn't live forever. So what does this mean? Well, it's really another reference of our Lord Jesus Christ. The still-to-come Messiah, the coming Christ. And what we see here are there are similarities between David and the coming greater king that comes out of his line. David shows us that the coming Messiah will be like. Because there's, there's a likeness between David and our Lord Jesus Christ. And some of them are, 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 are obvious, right? I mean, David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. David was born in humble circumstances. Our Lord Jesus was born in humble circumstances. David was a shepherd. Our Lord Jesus is called the Good Shepherd. David was God's anointed. Jesus is God's anointed. David is called God's servant. Jesus is called God's servant. David was a king, and Jesus is a king. David was, David was Israel's savior from the Philistines and all the surrounding armies. And Jesus is the savior of the world. And so did, people, did the people fully understand what they were saying when they, when they cry out, length of days forever and ever? Did they understand that in a time still future to them, and us, our Lord Jesus, is going to ride back to earth with the holy angels and destroy his enemies to put them under his feet. Did they understand all that? When our Lord Jesus does this, do they understand that the entire world is going to see this? They're going to see him in his glory and splendor. It's going to be on display for the whole world to see when he comes back. Not just Israel, not just the surrounding armies like when David came back, 
But the whole world is going to witness our Lord Jesus come back. Our Lord Jesus' victory will far transcend anything that was true of David's life. So did they understand all of that? No. But what they do understand is that one greater than David is still to come. And for now, they see their king as the man after God's own heart, and they identify with him. And despite his failures, David was, was unarguably the best king that Israel ever had. David was honored in a great way. But for us who are alive today, and if we are in Christ, we get to identify with a greater king. And so just like Israel, remember, they identified with their king. We identify with our king, the greater king. And so just like Israel got to share in the joy and the blessings of their king, we get to share in the joy and the blessings of the greatest king, the king of kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank him for that. And so here in Psalm 21, we see a people who love their king, and they're sharing in his joy and his blessings. And so David wants us to understand how much Yahweh God has blessed him as king because he had submitted to him and gives him all the glory and gives him all the honor. And then the people go on in verse 5. In verse 5, they say, His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. David's glory is great. Remember, God chose David to be king. David was God's choice. But David knows that the only reason he can give any kind of honor and glory as king is because Yahweh God has bestowed everything to him. Yahweh didn't pick David because David was great. David is great because Yahweh God made him great. And he says, your, that's God's salvation. He's saying, God, it was you who saved me through this battle. To be king of Israel was, was one of great honor. But the only reason he can enjoy this honor and glory as king is because it was given to him from God, not himself. Again, this is where all these blessings are coming from. And he says right here in verse 5, Lord God, it's you, it's you who are bestowing. It's you who are giving your king splendor and majesty. Remember, David is writing this again in third person. It's about him, but as we read it, we have this double meaning found here because this can be said about our Lord Jesus Christ. We can just turn this around and have it apply to our Lord Jesus. We can read, His glory is great. Our Lord Jesus' glory is great. Through your salvation, God the Father raised the Son, His Son from the dead. And after raising Christ from the dead, what did God the Father do? Splendor and majesty you bestowed, this, this bestowed upon Him on Jesus Christ. Again, Psalm 21 is pointing us to someone greater than David. It's pointing us beyond David and to Christ. And even today, David is still held in, this, in very high regard in, in Israel's history. But coming out of David's line, out of his lineage, is someone much greater. And he will surpass David in every possible way. A much greater king is coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, who is the source of these blessings? Well, it's God. It's Yahweh God. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 also could have been written about our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, David is writing this, but he's writing it from the people's point of view. And this is what the people are saying as, as he comes back victorious. Verse 6, For you make him the most blessed forever. You make him joyful and gladness in your presence. 
Again, written by David as he's speaking about himself in third person, but also to someone greater still to come. So we know David was blessed. He was a blessed man. And so David, who, who loved the presence of his Lord, this is why we have so many psalms written by him. David has so much joy in his Lord. He loved his Lord so much that he, he loved to write about all his experiences that he went through. All the times that Yahweh God cared for him and saved him and forgave him. David loved to write about him. David loved telling us about our Lord's greatness. David was very blessed by God. But as we look back to the cross and look forward to the second coming, we see that the most blessed one forever is the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 6 also applies to the Lord Jesus. For you, God the Father, make him, the Lord Jesus, most blessed forever. Who is the blessed hope all believers are waiting for? Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus is the most blessed forever. And the last part of verse 6. You, God the Father, make Him, the Lord Jesus, joyful with the gladness in Your presence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have always existed They have eternally existed together in perfect love. And our Lord Jesus loves God the Father and the Spirit. And when He took on human form, the human form of a man, He came to reveal the Father and to do His will. And He is joyful and glad in His Father's presence. And so we thank our Lord Jesus because of the blessing of Him. And so here, the people of Israel, they're praising Yahweh for the victory and because of, it's because of their king and it's because their king loves God. They identify with David, their king, and because they belong to David, their king, they get to share in his victory and in his blessings. But verse 6, again, it fits perfectly with our king, the Lord Jesus Christ who is our king and we belong to our king. And so we then share in his victory, just like the people of Israel shared in in King King David's. We get to share in our Lord Jesus' victory. And his victory is even better because he won the victory over the power of sin and death, over Satan and over the power of evil. And it's a shared victory even though he did it all. And so we thank our Heavenly Father for the glory given to our King and the blessing and our blessings. And here in Psalm 21, again, we have the people who love their King. They love David. They love their King. And they, sh- and they share in His return glory. And they understand that it's God. God is the source of that blessing. And this should make us think, if they can do that with their King, how much more Should you and I, who know the one true eternal surpassing King, be thankful and praise God? We get to know the final David, the Son of God, the King of Kings. And this is a king unlike any other king. Because this is a king of unending might who will gladly share his wealth with those who humbly come to him. Those who repent and confess their sins and receive him and say, I want you to be my king. And he becomes our king, and we get the blessings. And here in Psalm 21, we're looking at these five characteristics of a joyful heart. 
Again, the first was a joy in the Lord. Second was a blessing in the Lord. And now third, here in verse 7, we see a trust in the Lord. A trust. The people understand why their king has been so successful in these battles. They understand why God has blessed him. It's because in verse 7, there's a trust in the Lord. Lord, why have you given us this victory? Verse 7 is the answer. For the king trusts in Yahweh. What we have here is a king who's resting in that trust. So he's, he's seeking the glory of God in all that he does. And if he's giving all the glory and honor to God, he can trust God with a total confidence. So much so that when he goes into these battles, whatever the outcome is, it's the will of God. And so if it's the will of God, then that's what the king desires as well. And so there's a good outcome at, at the end because the king is trusting in his God. And notice what David says next here. Why can he as king totally trust in God? How can he as king not be shaken? <laughs> he says, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. So notice it's not because of God's might and power, but it's through the loving kindness of the Most High. His loving kindness is the Hebrew word hest. Hest shows us God's covenant relationship with his people. And what it means is, Yahweh God has a loyal love and faithfulness to his people. Even when his people are unfaithful to him. And so at the very heart of the word hest, it shows God's genuine sense of compassion, grace, and mercy. And so what, is, what does David want us to understand here? Well, he wants us to understand that the reason he will not be shaken is because of God's loyal, faithful love, his covenant-keeping love, that he can, he, he can put all of his trust in Yahweh God because God is a God who keeps his promises and never betrays his people, not ever. And so this God can be absolutely trusted that he will always do what's good for his people so this king will never be shaken and it's all because of God's faithful, loyal love and that He'll never abandon Him. And this kind of trust, this kind of trust is where every one of us, we need to get to. We have to have that. Because sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we can look at things and we can wonder, God, are you sure this is what's best for me at this time? But if we belong to Him, we can rest in that truth that God will look on us with loving kindness. And he is full of a generous sense of compassion and grace and mercy and that he will never abandon us. And this is why David chose this word, loving kindness here instead of God's might and strength. Because David's been through many heart-wrenching moments. Time and time again. David's been through many heart-wrenching moments. And God, Yahweh, has brought him through each one. And so David went through these times where he questioned Yahweh God. David had these moments where he looked up and he asked, Why God? Why? And we'll see more of these as we walk through the Psalms, as we continue to walk through the book of Psalms. We'll see these moments. But the point, David is, is, the point is that David did get to a place in his life where even when things didn't make sense, when he didn't know what was going on, he didn't understand, he learned to trust Yahweh God. 
David came to understand that God truly knows what's best for his life. He saw it time and time again. God's faithful, loyal love showing him that God will never abandon his people. Again, this is why we have so many psalms written by David. He wants us to see this. And for us, we can see something else. We can see someone else who trusted his God and his God and Father. All we have to do, right, is look at our Lord Jesus. We can see how he trusted his heavenly Father. He trusted him completely. In fact, our Lord Jesus trusted his heavenly Father all the way to the cross. He trusted him so much that as he's dying on that cross, he says, oh God, as my life ends, I trust my spirit to you. He was, he was never shaken, but trusted completely. So here we have David. He trusted God. He saw battlefield victories. And we have Christ. He trusted God the Father. And he was resurrected from the dead. And so what we see here is God knows who are his people. And then God displays his loyal love to those who trust in him. He honors those who honor him. That's what King David did. And that's what our Lord Jesus did. It's a complete trust in God. And what this should do for us is if we have a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, then we, like David, as we go through all the tough stuff, all the heart-wrenching moments of our life, we remember God's generous sense of compassion and grace and mercy. And that should guide us through. We can trust Him completely. We can put all our faith in Him because we belong to Him and He knows what I need. He knows what we need. And so if we are in Christ, if He's our rock, we will not be shaken. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. In Hebrews 11, 6, it tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who draws near to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God was loyal to David because David was loyal to him. God is a reward of those who seek him. And if we seek him, his loving kindness and his faithful love is worthy of all of our trust. So here in Psalm 21, David is showing us again these five characteristics of a thankful heart. And what we've seen so far is first, we, we saw a joy in the Lord. Second, there's a blessing in the Lord. Third, David showed us his trust in the Lord. And now fourth, we see that there's a respect in the Lord. Verses 8 through 12 a respect in the Lord. Really, it's an awe. It's an amazement in the Lord. So much so that there's this, this, this tremendous respect. And so here in verses 5 through 8, 5 through, here in these five verses, 8 through 12, we see the people. They're now going to look ahead into the future. Yahweh God has saved us and they blessed us with this king and this victory, but what about the future battle still to come? Well, they have a great respect for Yahweh God and they're in awe of Him. And because of this, they're not going to lose any sleep over future battles because they know He is the Almighty God. Look at verse 8. They say, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. There's a respect and an awe and an amazement because of Yahweh God's character. That's their rock. That's their foundation. That's what they're standing on. So in verse 8, it's Yahweh God. They're saying, 
Yahweh God, thanks again for the great victory, but we know that there are still enemies out there. But we know that that they're going to meet the same fate that all your enemies meet. So you're going to guide our king out, and he'll find them, and he'll win the day because of you. And these enemies, remember, these are enemies against Yahweh God and against his people. They hate Yahweh God, and so they hate his people too. What we have here is a very deep-seated hatred, a supernatural hatred. The Jewish people, the Jewish people have been hated ever since they came into existence. Because Yahweh God chose them to be his people. And so ever since that, Satan has been targeting them. Satan has been trying to rid the world of the Jewish race for thousands of years. It's like what we see today in the Middle East. We have a people, we have a people that hate Israel and they hate the Jews. And it's a hatred that's taught from birth. And it all stems from Satan. And so Satan, he just fans the flames of this hatred. And it gives birth to fighting and battles and then wars. It's been going on for centuries. And so what Psalm 21 shows us is that this, again, this hatred goes way back. And it's a hatred of God. It's a hatred of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a hatred of His people. And here in Psalm 21, the people say, They say, our king, he's going to find them because Yahweh God, your hand is going to guide them to them. And then then he'll be victorious because of your right hand. And really, you don't want to be an enemy of God. Because look at verse 9. You don't want to be an enemy of God. Verse 9 says, "You you will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. So wait a minute. Let's just say that God gets angry. I thought God was love. Well, Psalm 7 and verse 11. Psalm 7, verse 11 tells us God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation. That's anger every day. How about Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 27? In Isaiah 30, 27, it says, Behold, in the name of Yahweh comes from afar, Burning is his anger, and heavy is his smoke. His lips are filled with fury, and his tongue is like a consuming fire. So can God be angry? Yes. Yes, God is a God of wrath. He is a God of anger. That's the bad news. God gets angry, but here's the good news. His anger is not anything like our anger, because his anger is a perfect righteous anger. So we need to always remember that God could not be God, And be holy if he didn't react to evil. He couldn't be God, perfect in holiness, and tolerate unholiness. Because every attribute of God is as perfect as his holy person. That means his anger and wrath are a righteous anger and wrath. It's the right kind of anger and wrath. It's holy anger and wrath. Remember Psalm 1 and verse 6. Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. But, is God judging the world right now at this moment? Or again, will this be a future event? But what we'll see is it's really both. Because we can see this being played out before our eyes every day. We ask how? Well, we see people dying every day. 
In fact, in the world, 160,000 people die every day. That's 3 million people die every year. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because all have sinned, we all die. So God is judging sin at this moment, but there is also a coming future judgment. So when you read here in verse 9 of Psalm 21, where David says, you will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. Yahweh, you will, you, will, you will show them, you will swallow them up in his wrath and the fire will devour them. Again, we have David, he's speaking about the surrounding armies of his day, but it's also looking to sometime in the future. So he knows he'll be going out with his armies of Israel. David knows that. And he's going to be fighting battles for Yahweh. And again, he knows that it's not in his strength, but in Yahweh's strength that he's going to do this. That he's going to be able to win. And it's all because these nations hate Yahweh God. And they, they hate all that he is. And so we have God who is perfect, has a perfect righteous anchor. He's judging them. But we also understand that there is even coming a greater judgment. Because when the Lord Jesus comes back the second time, He's going to judge the nations. And it's interesting that when David writes at the end of verse 9 here, and fire will devour them, we can see Peter telling us the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. In 2 Peter 3.10, Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So you don't want to be an enemy of Yahweh God. And just how complete will this judgment be? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Their offspring you will destroy from the earth and their seed from among the sons of men. So how decisive will these victories be? Well, well, there won't be any surviving descendants. Their memory will long be forgotten. But again, why is Yahweh God so angry? Look at verse 11 though they intended evil against you. So who were, plan- who were they planning evil against? It's against Yahweh God and His people and their king. Remember, David is writing this again. So he is God's appointed king. And these enemies are scheming. They're planning to do evil against God and His people and His representative, the king. And the rest of verse 11 says, and they devise a scheme. They will not succeed. We know they failed to take out David because he lived out his days as the king of Israel. He remained on the throne and he was king until he grew old and died. So these schemes did not succeed. And again, this is looking at David, but if we also apply this, verse 11, to our Lord Jesus, as we look through the Gospels, what do the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities do? Well, they planned and they schemed a way to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to silence him Our Lord was rocking the boat too much, but what happened to their schemes? Their schemes failed miserably because Christ rose, He came out of the grave triumphant, and in fact, 500 people even saw Him alive. And then He descended up to glory, where He reigns at the right hand of God, and we still see it today. They still still plot against Christ and Christianity. And what's the outcome? Well, they fail miserably. Everyone who opposes the living God will meet with, this, with failure. And now verse 12, they say this, For you will make them turn their back 
You will aim with your bowstrings at their faces. So look what's happening here. These enemies who are overwhelmed, what do they do? Well, they turn their backs and they try to run. Because at first they come boldly, right? They're confident. We got this scheme. We have a plan. And you know what? Our armies are stronger than Israel's army. But when they see Yahweh God's holiness and His power, they run. And so when David and Israel went out to battle, these enemies, again, they put all their faith in their earthly might. They looked at their horses and their chariots, and they came boldly. They trusted their earthly strength, but when they saw the power of Israel's God, they tried to run. And again, when we apply this to our Lord Jesus, we can see this very thing happening at the second coming. We see this in the book of Revelation. At the second coming, all the armies of the world, they gather together. They go to war against our Lord Jesus Christ. They hate Him so much. And they think that if they all band together, they can defeat Him at His second coming. But boy, are they in over their heads. And in Revelation chapter 6 and verses 15 and 16, this is what happens to those kings and these rulers and all their armies who come against their Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation, 15, Revelation 6 15 and 16, it says this, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Yahweh God will judge all of those who hate Him and His Son. And Yahweh God is the God of power. He is the God of sovereignty. He is the God of loyal love. And He is the God who will not tolerate wickedness forever. And He will be victorious in the end. Verse 11 again. For you will make them turn their back. You will aim your bowstrings at their faces. You can't run from God. His judgment is coming. So even if you try to run, He's still looking you right in the face. And his judgment is like arrows that are aimed right at you. And so if you're on the road of the wicked, God's judgment is coming. That's the bad news. The bad news is, if you're Yahweh God's enemy, and you're on the road of the wicked, you will face God's judgment. Again, that's the bad news. And we need the bad news because we have good news. And the good news is the best news ever because Jesus Christ died on the cross And he rose from the dead. And so you can get off the road of the wicked. You can stop being an enemy of Yahweh God. The good news, the good news is you can repent. You can can turn from your sin. And you can believe in Jesus Christ. It's the only way off the road of the wicked. The gospel is the greatest news. Because Yahweh God, he will not tolerate wickedness forever. And he will deal with those who do not repent. And it's in a righteous anger. And he will judge them in the end. But what's so amazing is our Lord Jesus, who's coming back to judge His enemies, is the same one who's offering the salvation from His judgment. The good news of the Gospel. And here in Psalm 21, David's victory was proved because because all of Israel saw it. They saw Him come back victorious. They saw the armies come back victorious. But there will be a greater victory. The victory of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ And when He returns in glory at the second coming, His second coming is going to be an even greater display for all to see because it won't just be Israel that sees Him coming back, 
but it will be the whole world that sees Christ in His glory. So we see David's victory is proven in the past, which shows us that Christ's victory is a certain in the future. We see a total respect and awe of Yahweh God. David is showing us these five characteristics of a thankful heart to the Lord, and what he's shown us are these first four, joy in the Lord, blessing in the Lord, third was a trust in the Lord, fourth is a respect, and now the lastly, fifth, is there's a praise in the Lord, a praise And really what we see here is that Psalm 21 ends just as it began. It begins with this wonderful joy and it ends with this wonderful praise. Verse 13. Be exalted, O Yahweh, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. So coming off of respect and awe of Yahweh, the people are saying, Yahweh, we see your majesty. We see your greatness. We see your unsearchable omnipotence, we see your unfathomable wisdom. Oh Yahweh God, we bow before you. We recognize your amazing, faithful love to those who belong to you. And then what do these people do after understanding all this? They say, we will sing and praise you for it. So all of them with thankful hearts. Thankful hearts that fill them with joy. And this joy, it just pumps throughout all their body. And so it leads them to sing, to sing his praises for his power. They understand God. They're like, Yahweh, you defeated your enemies in the past. And for them looking to the future, and for us looking back at the past, we have Yahweh God. We can trust that he defeated sin, death, hell, and Satan through your son, Jesus Christ, at the cross and the resurrection. And so we have the good news of the gospel. And so we, we also can sing and we can praise His might. So these five characteristics of a thankful heart. There's joy in the Lord. There's a blessing in the Lord. There's a trust in the Lord. There's a respect in the Lord. And there's a praise in the Lord. And so as we conclude, as we, as we wrap this up, when we're full of these five characteristics as believers, How can we not have the spirit of thanksgiving in our heart? When we look at who God is and what He's doing and what He's done, our heart should be a thankful one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul said this, And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There are so many Christians out there who are desperately trying to find God's will for their lives. And this is a huge concern. What is God's will for my life? How do we find it? Well, like Paul said, and we saw it here in Psalm 21, the first thing, the first thing we need to do is have a thankful heart. The first thing the Lord wants us to do is be thankful. And to be thankful right where we are. We talked about contentment this weekend with the men. A content, thankful heart and a thankfulness to the Lord. If you notice when we read Romans chapter 1, what is the reason that God is going to judge the world in His wrath? Well, it's because they refuse to honor and give thanks to Him. And because of this, all the wicked earthly kingdoms will come under His judgment. But we're forever thankful because it says in Hebrews chapter 12, 
and verse 28. Very thankful for Hebrews 12, 28, because it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. To have gratitude and thanks because we're now members of a kingdom, a kingdom that will never be moved. And so just like Israel, they were, they were a kingdom with David as their king, and so they shared in the victory of their king. And for us as believers in Christ, we are in a kingdom with a king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ is our king, and so we share in his victory. So when God put Christ on the cross, when he bore our sin, the penalty was paid, and it was God who paid the price to redeem us back. And because of that, he could give us an inheritance, a deliverance, and transfer us into his kingdom. And we are no longer his enemies, but his children. And we're now on the road of the righteous. We don't face His judgment. Christ already did that for us. So we should always have a thankful heart because we have a joy, a blessing, a trust, a respect, a praise in the Lord. And really, how could we not? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and the teaching Your truths walk us through. Thank you as we go through these psalms, Lord. We see so many, there's just so many hidden jewels, Lord. And Father, when we think of everything that you've done and that you're doing and that you will do, Father, we want to have thankful hearts. Help our hearts to be continually, just continually a flow of praise for our inheritance, for our deliverance, and for our transfers off the road of the wicked and onto the road of the righteous and into your kingdom. We ask, Father, all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.